30, going deep. And he's got his receiver Adams. Slicing in for the touchdown. Pulse of the Pack Podcast. of the Pack Podcast. Do you want to experience the thrill of a Packers game at Lambeau Field? If so, be sure to get your game tickets from the longtime trusted source in Wisconsin, Ticket King. Visit their locations in Milwaukee and Green Bay or just go to their website at TicketKing.com. Again, that's the TicketKing.com. Victory Sunday, victory Monday, depends on when you're watching this show, but the Green Bay Packers 31-13 to over the New Jersey Giants. Big win, 9-3 going into the core final quarter of the season where they'll take on Washington at home, Chicago at home, Minnesota on the road, Detroit on the road, 9-3. That was a big step. Jason, we talked about this early in the week. you got to make your layups. The Packers had a layup today, and they made it. I'm your host today. I am Jacob Westendorf. I am fired up for a 9-3 Green Bay Packer football team, and joined with me is Jason Perrone. Jason, are we ready? We're always ready. Now, uh, I, I assume that we're recording, because usually you say, are we ready before we start? But I'm assuming you mean, are we ready for a playoff run for the first time in three years? Right. Yeah, damn yeah, right, I'm ready. Damn right, I'm ready. That's right. So the Packers, obviously, they come in today. Uh, they need a win to keep pace. They dropped into a tie last week with the Minnesota Vikings after being dismantled by... Uh, the San Francisco 49ers, who lost today to Baltimore. That's a big deal. We'll get to that later on today. It was a a turnaround for Green Bay. I think that something, the stat that Green Bay after losses this year is now 3-0 and a point differential of plus 38 or something like that. That's a positive. That's a positive trait for your head coach. It's a positive trait for your team because it says Jamal Williams has said it. Aaron Jones has said it. The locker room has said it. Good teams don't lose two games in a row. Well, the Packers haven't lost two games in a row yet this season. And the hope is that they won't. The hope I have now, obviously, is that they'll never lose again. They're 16-3 and three Super Bowl champions, and we're celebrating this show in the biggest way possible. But one step at a time. And in order to do that, you have to make the playoffs. The Packers got one step closer to that today. Bare minimum. If you say bare minimum, they win their next two home games against teams that are winnable games. The Packers should at least have 11 wins this season. And they should probably beat Detroit on the road if Matthew Stafford's not going to play. So you're looking at, again, a floor of 12-4 and four with a team that was 6-9-1 and one a season ago. Again, take your numbers, take your stats, take everything about it, and that's fine. I, I understand it. Maybe the Packers, from a predictive standpoint, have been fortunate. Maybe they're not on the same level as, say, the Saints or the 49ers and all stuff. And that's cool for now because all you got to do is be better than those guys one time. And that's in the playoffs, and that's in January. And right now the Packers are one step closer, and we've seen it. And I don't want to compare everything to 2010, but hell, I said today, I thought that the Packers were the 2015 Green Bay Packers. And I said it after a 12 men on the field free play touchdown that got them into the end zone, that they were the 2015 Packers. And we saw in 2015 that Packers team was one play away from going to the NFC Championship game. Whether or not they would have beaten Carolina remains to be seen. Doesn't really matter. We'll never know. At any rate, they are 9-3. and Jason, does it matter to you? How they got there? No. At this point, the way the Packers have played all season long, we're going to have to just take victories however they come because I said this with my co-host on Pack-A-Day this past weekend, Paul Brettel. Maybe the identity of this team this year is that they play this way and that they don't have a true identity we can lean on week after week. 
And listen, we've been spoiled. We watched the, the 2011 Packers offensive masterpiece after offensive masterpiece. There was a way that they won games. They got a bunch of turnovers. Aaron Rodgers threw dimes all over the field to Jordy Nelson. Now we've seen really pretty clean Packers teams. Now we're seeing Packers teams that win gritty football games. And one thing I'll say is they've looked really sloppy at times in some of their losses. And I'm still not sure if this is a Super Bowl team, but I would rather have a team that has fought through and won some gritty games. And if you really think about it until the fourth quarter, this game was not out of reach for the Giants. The Giants were actually staring at a possession to go. Well, the Packers ended up scoring because of the penalty by the Giants. And But had the Packers not scored on that possession, the Giants get the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to tie it or take the lead. And so it wasn't until later in the game that the Packers pulled away. On the road, in tough conditions, coming off a loss last week. Those are the gritty kinds of things that I want to see the Packers doing now because it gives me more confidence going into January because they're not the best team in the NFC. They're not the best team in the NFL. If they're going to win in January, like you said, Jake, they're going to have to play above their head. And I don't know if that's what they're going to do. And I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves at this point. You know, it's funny you mentioned 12 and four as a floor. And it's funny that the Packers choose this year to be that good. 12 and four has gotten teams first round or uh, number one seeds and, and a bye. Or, you know, Packers teams have been 12 and four, gotten an easy number two seed this year. The way, the way that it's shaken out, it looks like they may be lucky to get the third seed with that record. There's just so much winning going on in the NFC. So win however you can. But the grittiness of it is what I like to see the most. It gives me the most encouragement going into this last part of the season. Yeah, the NFC playoff picture, you're looking at 10, 11, 12 win wild card teams, Vikings or Packers, 49ers or Seahawks. Either one of those teams is probably going to be a double-digit win and more than 10 double-digit win. Wild card team. That's crazy to me uh, that the Packers have had that opportunity this year. I think it's a good problem to have, though. I mean, if you're talking about a team that has some of these issues, and Green Bay has their issues, and we'll get to those, but they have a chance to make the playoffs, and they have a chance to win their division. In the first year of a head coach, I think that some of the stuff you're seeing, some of the issues they have at the offense, on the offense with as far as their weaponry is concerned, of the issues of trying to teach the old dog new tricks. Think about it, guys. When Brett Favre had Mike Sherman uh, replaced by Mike McCarthy, I say that like he's the one who made the hiring and the firing. That's not the case, obviously. But Brett Favre's first year, that team was 4-8 and eight going into its last stretch of the season, and they won all of those games and finished 8-8, eight and eight, if memory serves. I believe that's how that happened. I will check that to be sure. That team was bad. And Favre had some clunky moments, and you're like, man, is this really going to work? Does McCarthy know what he's doing? Are they ever going to win with this dude? Did they pick the right guy? And they finished 8-8 eight eight the next year, obviously. You saw the highlight on the game today. I don't need to bring it up. The Packers went 13-3, and three and nothing happened after that. There was no postseason game, nothing like that at all. And then Favre moves on. Obviously, McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl together. The clunkiness at times and the learning experiences of the new head coach are things that are taking place in the midst of a playoff run. That's probably why they're a little more frustrating than what would be your normal timing. It happened to Sean McVay. Sean McVay had some playoff runs. You know what happened? They went to the playoffs. They were one and done in his first season. They lost to an Atlanta team that was more experienced than they were. This time around, last year, they went to the Super Bowl. Now I'm not saying Green Bay is going to play in the Super Bowl next year, but your clunkiness 
And some of those learning issues just seem to be more magnified because they're taking place in the middle of a team that is trying to make the postseason. I think that's the biggest deal. And it looks like, I mean, barring a complete disaster, and a complete disaster would mean losing at home next week to Washington, losing at home to a Chicago team that may or may not have some life to them, losing to Minnesota and losing to a bad Lions team that very likely will have quit on their season by then. That would be a disaster in finishing 9-7. and seven. Outside of that, this team is making the playoffs. And I don't think that if you asked any Packers fan before the season, would you be upset if they only made the playoffs? I don't think anybody would have said yes. I think the Packers fan, fan base is going to be very happy if you tell them that at the beginning of the season. Obviously now, if they have a chance to be a two-seed, teams are back, or you know, fans are back to the whole, well, if it's not a Super Bowl, it's failure and all that kind of stuff. And I just don't think that was the expectation. I don't think it ever could be. I think even we've even talked about it on this show, Jason, where even as this team was piling up wins, Yes, you could see the ceiling of this team changing to maybe what you thought it was. The Packers equaled their win total that I predicted for them at the beginning of the season today. That tells you where my expectations were. Even as they were piling up wins, 8-2, and 7-1, and one, you know, some of those really nice-sounding records, we kept saying, just temper a little bit. Temper your expectations. This is still a first-year head coach. This is still a new offense. This is still a defense that, well, what can you say? I mean, they're just... Not very good. Um, and they had their opportunities today. They did some cool stuff. They did some fun things, and, and we'll talk about those too. But as the season went along, we kept trying to temper expectations at least a little bit. And I understand how easy it is to lose some focus on that when the team's 7-1. You're thinking Super Bowl. That's usually what 7-1 means. Well, in this case, Green Bay is 9-3. They're first place in the NFC North, and right now I'm good with that. I'm good with a chance to – Win the division in the last four games of the season. So let's get to the game. Uh, first and foremost, they came in. The, the Giants were missing a lot of dudes. Daniel Jones is not very good. Uh, this seemed like a layup for the Packers. And Jason, like you mentioned, uh, there were times when this game was closer than you really felt it was going to be. I picked Green Bay to win this game 21-10 to because I said I didn't think that the Packers were capable of blowing anybody out. Now, I was wrong, and we'll get to why here in a little bit. But the beginning of the game, I think the Packers set the tone. They just weren't able to sustain it. And what I mean by that is the Giants got the ball first, and it's a third and one play, and Kenny Clark just eats Saquon Barkley. Kenny Clark took a lot of criticism over the first eight weeks of the season. It looked like he was playing hurt, playing without a lot of help on that side of the ball. Jason, what is your thought on Kenny Clark's play the last couple weeks? Because that was a huge set in the early of the game. Green Bay, not a very good team when they've fallen behind this year. Uh, obviously, they have the ability to come back. I still believe they would have. But typically on the road, you want to jump ahead, stay ahead. And Kenny Clark was able to set the tone for that early in the game. Next Gen Stats credited Kenny Clark with six pressures today on Daniel Jones. He, I had a, he had a hell of a game against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, no one particularly played well against the 49ers last week, so I'm not excusing a, a, you know, a blip in there, but I think, I think Kenny Clark, if he was dealing with uh, some injuries before this last stretch of games, he looks like he's healthy and he's ready to roll. He had a huge blew up a huge run play. Um, in fact, I think uh, it was, it was the third down. Uh, I think it was the third down play early in the game. The first third down the giants had and Kenny Clark came comes in and stuff Saquon Barkley 
or maybe it was fourth down. I think it was third down. And fired up. So Kenny Clark has is, is read your tweets. He heard your criticism, and he has responded. And he also has not forgotten that he has something very important that he needs to get done very soon, which is a new contract. So he is playing like a man who wants to get paid, and the Packers should absolutely do that and pay him. Six pressures from your nose tackle. This is this is what Kenny Clark was drafted to do back in 2016. And he has definitely flourished and turned into a, a solid player up front. Now, if you know, you only wish they had another big body next to him that was that steady rock. I think they've got a good rotation today. I know you asked about Clark, but to expand on that a little bit, Dean Lowry made a couple of plays today. Uh, Kingsley Kiki got in there and actually got some meaningful snaps at the end of the game. I think he's starting to learn and earn a little bit more. Tyler Lancaster has been okay up front there too. Rashad Gary gets in the game late and he spent some time up front also standing up, does a little bit of both. So to have your stalwart there though is, is really important. And uh, Kenny Clark has been very good two out of these last three weeks, but moving into these, these next couple games, when you look at the opponents that, the Packers are going to be facing. And even when you consider the Minnesota Vikings, you know, the Minnesota Kirk cousins is having a decent season, but I think Kenny Clark can still eat against that offensive line. Although they they have a little bit of a better unit than they've had in the past few years. So 97 might be a huge factor in these, these next four games. Yeah. And he certainly has been. And I think as a whole, the Packers defense is, I know they gave up some really big plays against the 49ers, but you almost come to expect that with this unit. That's the unfortunate part. And we'll get to, some of the issues that I have with the way Mike Patton is choosing to play with this team. But I thought that start was huge. I think that Kenny Clark has definitely had a bit of a renaissance. Like you said, he read your tweets, he's got your criticism, and he's telling you where proverbially to stick it. Uh, And that's something that I'm sure he'll continue to bring up in his upcoming contract extension, which I assume is a when rather than an if. Uh, But that's, you know, that's Russ Ball's job. That's Brian Gutekunst's job. Those guys, they'll take care of the contracts. We'll tell you what they should have done or if they did it right. Green Bay, from there on defense, here is my biggest issue. And throughout the course of the game, they had their issues of playing in this this soft zone coverage against Daniel Jones. And some of it was on, you know, third and longs. There's a third and 12 that comes to mind that they gave up 30-some-odd from Tremont Williams. Um, There's there's a couple of fourth downs where they're playing soft and – Here's my general thought philosophy on defense. And I know sometimes, and granted, I'm not a defense coordinator. I'm not a defensive head coach. I'm not not even a football coach. Uh, so obviously I'm not in the NFL. I'm sitting here talking to you guys. But in general, my preference is to solve your problems with aggression. And I talked about that a lot this offseason with Brian Gutekunst. And I think that's something that I wish Mike Patton would have carry over. And I'm not sure why it hasn't. Uh, and here's my other thing, and Jason, I said this to you pre-show, you're on the road against a shitty team playing a shitty quarterback. Dictate something. You have the players to do that. You have Preston Smith. You have Zedarius Smith. You have Adrian Amos. You have Jair Alexander. Darnell Savage had a nice bounce back today with a hot Clinton Dix-esque interception, but I thought he played well before that. You have players on that team. I don't understand this willingness and propensity to play what I consider playing scared in the big moments of the game. And I think that that's something where it's very 
you know, bend but don't break is what they say. And the Packers have done a good job in the red zone. And, and that's all great. Eventually, teams are going to get yards, even against the best defenses, against the Patriots. Teams get yards. I get that. That being said, be aggressive. Come after these dudes. Because you saw when you had pressure in the face of Daniel Jones. He threw him up for grabs. He threw the first interception that Kevin King had today. That was something caused by pressure. Daniel Jones had a guy in his face, forced an early throw. Kevin King had an interception. Darnell Savage, uh, that interception, Jones had time. He just airmailed it. The pass to Tremont Williams, kind of the same thing. But it's a pileup of some of the pressure that they had gotten on him throughout the course of the day, giving the quarterback a bit of those you know, early late-game jitters. I went, Patton's got these dudes. They should know they're, I mean, and my other thing is, if you're going to give up big plays anyways because you're playing this soft-ass defense and you're giving up big plays anyways, well, you might as well try and make some big plays while you're at it because if they're going to get the big plays like that, there's no sense sitting back and waiting for them to make it. And that's, to me, that's unacceptable. I think the way this defense is played, the undisciplined nature and stuff like that, I've talked about it. Uh, I'm definitely not fire the coach guy. Because uh, I think the coordinators make for easy scapegoats. But the more the weeks go on, the less and less I believe in what Mike Patton is doing. Jason, what are your thoughts on the way the Packers have approached playing defense, and especially today against the team and a quarterback who simply isn't very good? Well, if you look at the – if you are a box score guy, you think the defense actually played okay. I I would like to think they could be a little more opportunistic. They're going to have to be able to make big plays against good quarterbacks as they move into the back half of the season. They're not going to face too many in the next month, maybe one, depending on who Detroit trots out there. I don't know how, how good this this uh, kid that made his first start on Thanksgiving is, really. So, and I, that's assuming Matt Stafford doesn't play. So, you know, I, they're going to have to figure out ways to be more effective against good passers who are going to make throws. They're not going to throw the gimmies. I mean, some of those interceptions were embarrassing for Daniel Jones. You know, he just continues to turn the ball over, over and over and over again. He had three more picks today, and two of those were, uh, you know, bombs right to the, the, the defensive backs essentially became the receivers. So, and Kevin Kings was pretty easy as well, too. So that's not going to be the case every week. The pressure was there. So... They're getting that. Um, they have what they have in the middle. It's tough to cover the middle. I mean, you're you're relying on guys like Kyler Fackrell and Blake Martinez and Oren Burks late in the game to man the middle, and they just seem to struggle there. Now, New York didn't have Golden Tate. They didn't have their two tight ends. So there weren't as many weapons to worry about, although you know the Giants made a game of it for three quarters. So that was Green Bay maybe playing down a little bit to their level of competition. They've got to find a way to be more competitive throughout the entire game and set the, you know, like you said, you know, set the tone, dictate something. And they didn't do it. They just didn't, they haven't done that. So if they, if they can, I'll tell you what, you know, if they can go in and face a team that's rolling and playing really well and they can play 60 solid minutes in Minnesota and get a big win, their defense is kind of the big reason for it. Okay. Then, then it can be like, look, you know, for whatever that was happening, they finally got it figured out. Mike Petten finally got it figured out and everything is fine. But I don't think, it's a horse issue. They have the horses. They have guys that can make plays. I just, you know, we talked about the whole press coverage thing and why don't why they don't do that more. I don't like playing scared, and that's what I see Green Bay doing a little too much of at this point. I don't know what it's going to take for a defensive coordinator in Green Bay 
to finally get aggressive and draw it up. And, you know, the whole Bruce Arians, no risk it, no biscuit type of thing. Listen, it's hard to stack your defense with a bunch of all pros and pro bowlers. You know, the Packers have enough guys on defense that play well to do more. You got Zadarius Smith, you got Preston Smith, you got Kenny Clark, you have Jair Alexander, Adrian Amos at safety, Darnell Savage is ascending. You can throw Kevin King into the mix there. I pretty much just named most of the starting lineup there. I don't know what more they need to be more aggressive, but I will tell you this, I'd rather see them figuring that out now than have to cram for the exam, as I use my quote fingers here, heading into January football. Yeah, and I mean, the defense eventually is going to have to control some games because even if this offense is 2011 offense, and they're not, you've seen it. Defenses, good defenses especially, and the Packers are going to play a few of those if they want to get to where they want to go. San Francisco, you just saw them last week. You know how that goes. New Orleans, good defense. Minnesota, good defense. The only really bad defenses that they're going to play in the playoffs, maybe, would be if they had a shot against Dallas or Philly, whichever one wins that garbage-ass division, or Seattle. Seattle's defense is not what it used to be, despite its reputation. I think that ultimately Green Bay is going to have to play better on defense, and that has to start, in my opinion, with being more aggressive. I think that's what your personnel dictates. Alexander can get up in people's faces. Kevin King's best asset is his length and his speed, his recovery deep speed. And the Packers don't use that. They have him play soft. And I, I don't understand that by any stretch. So I think that that's going to start with that. And we're going to actually move into Kevin King a little bit here just because he had a bit of an up and down day. Uh, the Packers continue to put him as their starter. Uh, and I don't know that they have a better option uh, at this point in time. But I haven't given up on King. I don't want to say that. Here's kind of my thought. With hindsight, with the benefit of hindsight, would the Packers still pick Kevin King? Probably not. That being said, is he as bad as the people that don't like Kevin King say he is? No. Is he as good as the over-the-top types that want to tell you how great he is tell you he is? No, he's not that either. He's going to give up some plays, but he's also going to make some. Corners get beat in this league. I think asking for the Packers to have a boatload of shutdown corners. And I, I read the stat from Pro Football Focus this week. Those guys... And I think they do some great work. I think there's some good stuff and there's some valuable stuff in and on that website. But they're using the broadcast version of the game to tell you who the catch was against. And that's tough. I mean, has King had a great season? By no stretch. But I don't think he's as bad as saying, like, oh, he's giving up the most yards in the league, blah, 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 blah. I think that a lot of people, what we want to do, and I'm as, I'm guilty of this at times too, is we want to sit down, we want to open a computer, and we want something to tell us exactly what happened and why that happened and what went wrong. And a lot of times it's a number to quantify those things. I often say it in baseball. A lot of times people just point to, they go in, they click wins above replacement on fan graphs, they look down that, and they say, whoever has the top one, that was the best player. And a lot of times the answer to that question is Mike Trout. And yes, that adds up. But one number can never give you the right answer. I firmly believe that. I'm not going full-on stats are for losers. I think those things matter. But at the same time, King has to play better, but he hasn't played as poorly as some people would lead you to believe either. What are your thoughts on that, Jason? 
not a ton to add. I mean, listen, I'm fine with him. If he's going to get interceptions, then then that's fine. If he's, you know, I don't love the tough stretches that he has, but he's certainly a capable. He's a he's a certainly a capable player out there. So I don't have an issue with Kevin King being out there. He's bought into this defense. He's part of the heart and soul of the whole thing. You know, these guys, you know, celebrating the end zone, and he's he's a part of this whole thing. So I'm I'm okay with it. Now, am I going to feel differently if he's the goat? In a game, and I don't mean in the right, in the good way. In a game, these next couple of weeks, and they end up losing a game they shouldn't because he blew a coverage, or you know he got beat again, or was out of position, or whatever it be. You know, to your point, Jake, and, and you may have mentioned it. We all thought Kevin King was absolutely toasted last week in San Francisco. Come to find out, and whether this was a you know after the fact uh, to protect King, or if it was the truth that his responsibility wasn't what everybody thought it was based on what they saw on TV. So Correct. to your, to your point, the eyeball test, which is something that I use a lot, but I also admit to using it. And I know that it's very limited and that it's not an educated. eye, doesn't tell you everything. So I, you know, this, this whole narrative on King, you know, one way or the other, listen, you know, the reality is he had an interception today. He defended another ball at one point, you know, he can get in there and make tackles. He's been healthy. There's, there's just certain things that I think you have to look at in totality and realize, listen, you're in a fortunate situation with Kevin King this year. It's not an unfortunate situation. If you want to harp on the bad things, and you've said it a thousand times before, Jake, if you're looking for something, you're going to find it. If you're looking for a reason to harp on a guy or get down on a guy, you're going to find it. The reality is this is Kevin King's best season of his career. He's given us his appearance in every single game so far. He's stayed healthy, and he's leading the team in interceptions. I don't know what more we need to say. That it is. Sorry, guys. I had to plug in my computer. Apparently, we spent more time talking than I anticipated. So that should help. But nonetheless, I agree with you. King's been healthy, which has been one of – that criticism to me has always been unfair. And I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of talking about injuries, but I just don't think that's a fair criticism. Say, oh, he's always hurt. He's always hurt. He's always hurt. Well, yes – but making it sound like he's somebody who is actively trying to get hurt, which is what some people do. And I don't believe in the word injury prone. I don't think that's a thing. I really think that a lot of injury issues just simply come down to bad luck. And like Brian Belaga's injury last week is a perfect example. Would that have happened to any other offensive tackle in football if it happened the same exact way? Yes, it would have. And that's a perfect transition to Brian Belaga right now. Goddamn warrior. That's really the only way I can explain him. He has a sprained MCL, a two- to four-week kind of injury. So what's he do? He plays seven days later on a sloppy field, crappy conditions, and he plays his butt off because he's Brian Malaga from Iowa. And he's the best right tackle on the Green Bay Packers, maybe the best right tackle in all of football, and somebody the Packers need to give an extension to. Jason, this guy should have been first in your game balls column. I don't know if he was, but if he's not, then you did it wrong. I did it wrong. Shame on you. I did mention the offensive line. Uh, I mentioned the offensive line. They didn't give up any sacks today. No, there were no sacks on either side of the ball. For as many pressures as the Packers had, they did not get to Daniel Jones either, and they didn't didn't get him down. But no sacks given up on Aaron Rodgers. Keep the quarterback clean. Yeah, for Belaga to go out there and play in a game like this tells you exactly where his mind is at in terms of what he wants to do this, this season, which is play, protect his quarterback, and win a championship. Can't fault him for that. And, yeah, like you said, I think the Packers need to strongly look at keeping him around. Even if you know that there's a chance 
that even though he has been able to play this season and has been able to continue to stay in there, that they might only get 12 to 13 games out of him from this point moving forward. But 12 to 13 games of that guy at right tackle versus some of the other fodder around the league, not what you want. It's definitely not what you want if you're those other teams. So, yeah, Belaga was a warrior. He played really well today, didn't didn't struggle at all. Uh, you know, the interesting thing was where Bulaga sometimes tends to rack up those penalties because he's facing some of these elite pass rushers. Uh, I think Bakhtiari had a penalty. Elton Jenkins had a very rare penalty. I don't know if that was really an actual, actually a holding penalty. I think that defensive lineman sold a fall down on that one, but I could be wrong. Well, but no penalties. It was. I, I thought it was. It looked It looked like a great sell job. It's the equivalent of a flop in the NBA. And Jake, I know you're more of a basketball fan than I am, and that shit's really annoying. So, uh, but nonetheless, Bulaga is a warrior. Not much else to be said. I mean, he's he's absolutely incredible. And I think it may maybe only because I gave an honorary game ball to Mason Crosby that I didn't specifically mention Brian Bulaga in the game ball section. But I also thought that the entire offensive line kind of deserved credit, although they were sloppy at times. Anytime there's no sacks on the quarterback, your offensive line came to play. They did their job. But 75 was a huge part of it. And we're very, very lucky that – those two guys on either side of the line have been available to play through a lot of the bumps and bruises they've had this season. Yeah. The offensive line was great. I mean, I, they've played very well. Obviously they didn't have the greatest game last week uh, against San Francisco, but San Francisco is going to make a lot of offensive lines look bad. I think Green Bay's offensive line is one of the strengths of this team. You talked about maybe not having an identity. I think that that is one of them. And ultimately they kept Aaron Rodgers clean. They didn't, Packers didn't run the ball all that well. Aaron Jones, 11 carries, 18 yards. Jamal Williams, 10 carries, 41 yards. And, man, is he fun to watch run when the games are nasty. Like that mud bowl against San Francisco in 96, for example, that's a Jamal Williams game. And he said after the game to Lily Zhao that he said the the mermaid was activated. And (laughs) I very much enjoy Jamal Williams' quotes after any time ever. So especially after games that are played in the weather, he's had some real big gems uh, at this point in the season after some of those games. So offense overall, Alan Lazard, big start, uh, two catches. He had a deep ball touchdown on what looked like the old Jordy Nelson shot play uh, to some degree. So that was nice to see. Three catches, 100 yards, a little over 100 yards and a touchdown. Devontae Adams scored on the Green Bay's first possession. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw four touchdown passes, and I believe all four were to four different receivers. If No, two were to Adams. Never mind. So three different receivers. Uh, one to big dog, Mercedes Lewis, which is going to become a thing. I know that. Uh, it's very reminiscent of New York Bozo, where he yells big dog before the play, throws him a touchdown pass shortly thereafter. The only issue I really have with the offense is just, like, there's moments, again, and maybe I need to temper my expectations a little bit, just because it is still a new offense, even if it is a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, who I talked about last week, who I, I still agree with what I said. I don't think he's an MVP-level player anymore. He might have a game that looks like that every now and again, but I don't think he'll ever be that again, and that's okay. Uh, he's still a very good quarterback, and I think he said he played very good today. The issue that I have is the Packers, they just go through some of these lulls, and something I want to watch, and obviously this is a Sunday recording, so the All-22 is not out. There's some condensed stuff, but I don't really want to look at that. What I want to see is... The scripted plays went very well. The Packers scored two touchdowns on their first two possessions. Then they went into a lull. They ended up kicking a field goal off an interception, scoring three of their four possessions in the first half. Second half, they go into a bit of a lull. They scored two touchdowns off of turnovers. Bam, game over. But 
what I want to see is how much of the scripted stuff is Lafleur, and after that, how much of it looks like Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. Because I think some of those lulls are a culprit of, I would like to see Matt Lafleur run more of his own stuff. The static formations, the wide receiver personnel, all that stuff. Some At times, this team still looks like, from an offensive standpoint, that they're kind of trying to learn what the best balance is between Matt LaFleur's offense and the offense Aaron Rodgers is most comfortable in, which would obviously be Mike McCarthy's. I'm not sure, and that's something that I want to see. But overall, they put up 31 points to the quarterback through four touchdown passes. I was a little disappointed in the lack of ability to run the ball. But if the Giants are able to do anything, I mean, they've invested – a million picks and millions of dollars into some run defender type players. They drafted Dexter Lawrence. Uh, they've traded for Leonard Williams. They have guys like that on their team. So maybe that's part of it. Uh, otherwise, I mean, I can't complain with 31 points, four touchdown passes by the quarterback, other than there are times where it still looks clunky, but I still think even with Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback, that's to be expected at some point. Jason, what was your overall assessment on the offense today? Well, they, they struggled at times. They got to go on a late, you know, the late offense really made up for everything else. It's that recency effect where everyone feels like, oh, the Packers had a great day. They had, you look at the numbers and Roger stats and four touchdowns and, you know, until the fourth quarter, he didn't, you know, he only had two and it took Alan Lazard making a, a great catch to keep one of those drives alive. The first drive to, to uh, score the first touchdown. Uh, Devontae Adams getting it, getting in the end zone twice was, a good thing, although he had, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a tough day out there because it's a sloppy. You know, Rogers had a, a couple balls that got away from him because the field conditions weren't great. I saw him wiping his shirt, and you know, those types of things play a factor. But they couldn't run the ball very effectively. Aaron Jones had an injury early; he did return. Jamal Williams couldn't get his feet under him. The field conditions are what they are. So I, I'm not as apt to get down on the offense, but. Uh, the one thing that I didn't like, and the one thing that you might see, spoiler alert, in the game balls and lame calls column was when you're in negative territory and it's third and short, this propensity for Aaron Rodgers to decide or Matt LaFleur to call a play where they they take a deep shot. I don't love that. It, obviously, if it works, nobody bitches and complains. When it doesn't work, everybody gripes and complains. I don't love the approach simply because it becomes a habit. It becomes something that you become emboldened to think is going to work. And because you did it three weeks in a row against teams that are subpar and aren't very good, you think you can pull that off against a playoff team or a better team, and it doesn't work. And all of a sudden, oh, crap, our usual vice is not there anymore. I just don't love those types of things. Just move the sticks, get the yards, especially in a game like this where the, the footing is sloppy, it's, it's a wet ball. You know, we saw balls flying all over the place, getting tipped in the air, those types of things. You've got to take that, all that into consideration. But in the end, they were able to do what you want to do. It was a true West Coast football ending where you're pounding the rock to grind out the clock, and then you end in a in victory formation with Tim Boyle on the field. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. But offensively, you know, I don't know. I mean, on a scale of, of 1 to 10, I don't know if I can even give it an 8. I guess, I don't know, seven, seven and a half for whatever that's worth to everybody else. That's that's kind of how I saw it. Yeah, the point production matters. Uh, I think that that, obviously anything off of last week was going to be an improvement. Uh, I'm trying to find, if I can here, uh, their stats on third down, but I, uh, yeah, that's not going to be in this particular box score. They ran 63 plays. I have it. 
I got it real quick. There were there were seven of thirteen on third down. Okay, that's much better. I mean, they did have some lucky penalties go their way, and they've had some good penalty luck this season, and that matters uh, when you talk about it a little bit. But they do have. I mean, there are some plays where it's legitimate. Like the there was a touchdown. Well, it would have been a touchdown to Devontae Adams, but the defender grabbed a hold of him and he couldn't get there, so they called pass interference. They scored in Marcinez Lewis a couple of plays later. Like that would have been a conversion. It just became one because of a penalty because the defender grabbed on, hoping to not give up a TD, and I get that. Overall, the only thing that matters is the Packers are 9-3. and three. They're going to the last four games of their season. They have three division games uh, and three division games to finish out the season after a home slate or home game next week against uh, Dwayne Haskins, Adrian Peterson, an old friend, and the Washington Redskins. I know Jason loves Adrian Peterson like a brother, so... We'll be looking forward to breaking that down for you later in the week. But ultimately, Green Bay wins 31-13 to in New Jersey over the Giants. And really kind of interesting because last December, the Packers went into New Jersey to play the Jets. And they had nothing to play for. It was Joe Philbin's third game as a head coach. They'd been eliminated from the playoffs. And now you look at not even a year later, honestly. They won a game to keep them in the running for the second overall seed in the NFC playoff picture. It's just crazy to me how quick things can change in the NFL. Are the Packers perfect? No. Are they a Super Bowl favorite? No. But, yes, they are a good football team, and I think they've they've proven that over and over again this season. Today was just another example of that. And we'll talk more about Washington here later this week, but that's going to do it for this edition of Pulse of the Pack. Be sure to check us out uh, on Twitter. It is at Packer Pulse. You can follow Jason. He is at Jason Brown. You can follow me. I am at Jacob Westendorf. Check us out on YouTube. Pulse of the Pack. We've seen an uptick, so we do appreciate those things from you guys. Tell your friends, tell your family. Give us some feedback on what we can improve. I'm working on turning this area into a bit of a studio so you guys get less of the living in my mom's basement kind of look that you can get at times. But we're working on some equipment. We're working on some new things. Uh, so that'll be that'll be a lot of fun once we get that up and running. But uh, Jason, anything to add before we sign off? Got a victory. They've secured their first winning season in the last three years. Looks like they're headed towards the playoffs. So it's just enjoy the victory. Enjoy it. We're in December. The Packers are still in contention. They're atop the NFC North. Go Pack Go. Yeah, and the other cool thing, I guess I forgot I wanted to point out. I taught my daughter how to do the D train today after uh, the interception by Kevin King. So that was a lot of fun. So thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, Go Pack Go. of the PAX Podcast.